Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you guide and lead us as we get into your word and that you will let us see what you would have us to see from that, from your word. We do pray for those that are being hit by this new hurricane and even the hurricane that went through Texas recently and that you'll comfort all those people. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 1. We just got done talking about uh, Jesus going after his lost sheep and church discipline. And verse 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often should I f- shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And Jesus said, I say unto you, until seventy times, but again, uh, not uh, until seven times. Let's try reading this verse again. Verse 22, but Jesus said unto you, I say not unto you until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take an account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him that owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him of the debt. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took his by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then the Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired me. Should you not also have compassion upon your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother with their trespasses. So we're going to look at this. Uh, Peter comes to Jesus and he goes, you know, God, uh, Jesus, how, often, how much should I forgive my, somebody who sins against me? Seven times? Now, this is something that if you know the Jewish mentality... The Jewish rabbis taught that all you had to do was forgive somebody three times, and after that you could lower the boom on them. You could, you only had to do is you know forgive them three times, and that was it, no more. And Peter, you know, is coming along saying, you know, hey, you know, the rabbis and the and the Pharisees and everything, they say all you had to do is you know forgive them three times. I'm going to be really spiritual. I'm going to I'm going to double that. And I'm going to add one for good measure. You know, the number of per- completion, perfection. You know, how, how shall, shall I forgive him twice as often as the Jews plus one God? You know, you know, Peter's thinking pretty highly of himself at this point. You know, God, I'm going to be really spiritual. How many times do people get that way with God? I'm going to be really spiritual. You know, the, the church teaches or somebody has taught this. I'm going to really, I'm going to double it. I'm going to make it really look good. I'm going to make it look like I'm really spiritual. And Jesus' answer was to him and said, I say not until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And Jesus in this, this is an idiom, a Jewish idiom. He wasn't saying 490 times. He was saying, just keep forgiving them. You know, you're not keeping score. Okay, I've forgiven you 478, 480, 485, 489. Look out, you're getting to the end. 
You know, Jesus wasn't saying that. He was just saying, you just keep forgiving them. And, you know, isn't that something that's hard for most of us to do? Forgive, you know, forgive people even once? Okay. For many of us, it's hard to forgive even one time. Forgive them twice? Okay, you're pushing your luck now. Get to three, four, or five times, and it's like, uh, okay, how many times do you want me to forgive you? Or are you ever going to change? Have you ever caught yourself thinking that? You know, how often am I going to have to forgive you before you change? And Jesus is saying, you keep forgiving them. You just keep forgiving them. That's his heart that he puts in us to forgive people. Now, that doesn't mean that we forgive them and you know, let them keep hurting us if it's going to be something that hurts. But how many things that we are asked to forgive people for are really that serious? You know, are really that serious? All they did was hurt our feelings or they did something that you know, we didn't particularly like. How many people are really hurting us that we might end up in the hospital over? Or hurting us in a way that might take a lot of our money? And those kind of things, yes, you want to be careful with those people. You don't put yourself back in a position so they can continue hurting you or take advantage of you. But all, you know, that is very rare. Those are the rare occasions that we have for forgiveness. Usually it's just somebody's doing something we don't like. You know, it's just a little bit, little irritant. And they'll want us to forgive us and, or forgive them. And sometimes we find those even hard to forgive. Well, how many times am I going to let you, you know, make me look, look bad because you're doing this? Or how often am I going to let you do this too and I'm going to feel bad about it? Still going to be consequences because it's wrong. There's always consequences. When I forgive people, I don't even want to see the consequences fall on them, even though I know God may let consequences fall on them. Because that's up to God. But my attitude when I've forgiven somebody is I don't even want to see something bad happen to them. I'm not looking forward to hearing the bad news of what, what happened to them. I had a, an owner of a company one time that really mistreated me, and I went to work for another franchise in the same company, and the owner came up and goes, I've got good news for you. And I go, what's that? He goes, well, the, the so-and-so has lost all of his business, and he you know, has gone bankrupt. His companies have gone under. And I'm going, that doesn't make me happy. You know, it didn't. It didn't make me happy. It didn't, I didn't want to see his family suffer, even though... He probably, obviously, God decided that he deserved it. I didn't want to see that. And when I read through the Psalms, all the times when David prays these precatory prayers, God, go get my enemies. That's not my attitude with, in most cases. I don't want to see people get hurt because I want to see them come to Christ. Now, I realize sometimes bad things must happen to people to get them to come to Christ. And I know that God knows what needs to be done to make it happen. But in my heart, I truly don't want to see people suffer, even if they've tried to make my life miserable. Because I really, truly believe that vengeance is God and he'll repay. Not my job to demand vengeance. Now, David, at a different, slightly different place, he was king of, the, king of the children of Israel. And if they were coming against his nation, then yes, let's let the king pray for precatory prayers against his enemies. And a lot of David's prayers were against his personal enemies, not just national enemies. He didn't go after Saul. 
And he waited for God to take him out. But later, and I think most of his precatory prayers come later on in his life, you know, but, and I don't know. Uh, but again, what is the purpose of pr- forgiveness? Forgiveness truly is that I give up my right to demand that you be punished. All right? You've hurt me. I have the right to ask God to punish you, but true forgiveness says I give up my right to demand punishment on you. That doesn't mean punishment won't come against the person that I've forgiven, but I'm not going to be the one pursuing it. I'm not going to try to make their life miserable, and I'm not even going to ask God <laughs> to make their life miserable. Well, that's what this whole parable we're getting, going into next is all about, is the hypocrisy that goes on amongst people. But forgiveness is so much more powerful than we want to, we want to think about it. Because I've heard people say, especially in the world and even amongst Christians, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm never going to forget. What? Pretty much. Probably was a word from original, but yes. Yeah. But, you know, have you truly forgiven somebody if it stays on the forefront of your mind? Not really. If you're always thinking about how bad that person's treated you, you really haven't forgiven them because deep in your heart, you're treasuring up, I can't wait till they get what, what they deserve. And that is going to come out in your words. If that's what you're treasuring in your heart, I can't wait till they get what they deserve. I can't wait till God judges them. It's going to affect everything you say to them, every way you deal with them, the looks you give them. Have you ever been around somebody who's mad at somebody else and you just look at them and they're just the bitterness, the knives are flying from their, their eyes. They'll tell you they've forgiven them, but you know, there's ice on every word they say. There's daggers in their looks. Uh, you know, there's the statements behind their back, you know, that how bad they are and how they don't deserve to be forgiven and, and you forgave them. And you know, it's, you know, the more you're keeping it in your heart, the less you've forgiven somebody. And the more it's going to come out, which is why it's so important. True forgiveness. Give up my right to expect punishment to that person, to demand punishment to them. Very much what true forgiveness is. And you know, the funny thing about when you forgive somebody, a lot of times people will try to help you remember. I've had that happen to me. Well, don't you know that they've done that to you before? I go, no, not really. I've, you know, I've forgiven them, truly forgiven them. The only way you're going to get me to remember what you've done is you have to keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over over a short period of time, and then it starts to stick in my mind. But even then, I'm going to try to forgive, and once you stop doing it, I'll end up forgetting what you've done. So that saying, first time, shame on you, second time, shame on me, doesn't really, it's not really difficult. Fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on, on me. Yeah. Well, that's what I would say... Then am I going to purposely let somebody take advantage of me? No. But am I going to forgive them? Yes. If somebody, if somebody has been har- truly harming me, and, and you know, for one thing, I, I have a different opinion of what harm is in the first place. Because I'll tell people, not too many bad things have happened to me. And I've had some of my family members laugh at me when I say that. You know, because I look at things so, as being so small and, and uneventful compared to what God allows that it doesn't bother me. And so it's just my attitude and I look at it from God's perspective. How does all this fit in with Paul and Alexander the silversmith? Alexander the silversmith was harming the church. 
and hurting the, the church and, and God's testimony. So Paul, as a leader, went after him. That would be the difference, harming the church or harming the individual. Right. Uh, righteous anger is one thing. If I'm angry because you're hurting somebody else, then I can be angry and sin not and come against that person. Pretty much, if, if you're angry because somebody has hurt you, most of the time it's very hard to have righteous anger because usually why are you angry? I got hurt. My pride got hurt. My feelings got hurt. Okay. Maybe a little bit my rights were taken away, but usually it's, you know, hey, you just hurt me. You hurt my pride. Very hard to be have righteous anger when you are the target of what you're angry about. Uh, now, if somebody's hurting my family, I'm going to be very much after, and they're not going to get a second chance to hurt my family. If they're coming in trying to hurt the church, not just kind of artificially, you know, superficially hurting the church, but coming in trying to hurt the church as pastor, I'm going to come against that, and I'm going to I'm going to speak out against them even amongst the people and say, you don't want to spend time with this person. And is it somebody else? Do I have the authority to care? Am I in a position of authority? Uh, same thing I say when you're looking at somebody and they're sinning and they're doing things wrong. Well, is it any of your business in the first place if, you know, the member of the church is doing something wrong? Do you have a relationship with them? Or are they hurting the church's reputation by what they're doing? If not, just stand back and pray for them. It's just a sin and they're hurting themselves primarily. You pray for them. If they're hurting the church, then something will have to be done. But it still has to be done in love. It has to be done in, 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 in kindness. And we go to them and say, you know, hey, I've been noticing this activity. And, you know, you're really hurting the reputation of the church because everybody knows this. And, and then you go through what we talked about last week. If they don't listen, then you go to get a second person. And then it goes before the church. But, you know, those have to be some pretty serious events. You know, not just, you know, this person sleeping with other people, committing fornication. As bad as that is, that's probably not something we're going to sit there and say, you know, now they stand up in the church and say, I want to sleep with everybody in this church because it's okay to fornicate. Now we've got a problem because they're going way too far. But you're right. Most of these problems I've ever seen in any church have always been picky things. But that's how we react to everything. I won't forgive you because you're you, this little picky thing that I just, don't, I just don't like what you're doing. You irritate me every time I see you and I'm not going to forgive you. You know, how much, how often are we irritated about silly, little, petty things? Not as much as they used to. Well, hopefully, as we grow, less and less. But, you know, we do spend our time getting upset about little things that are absolute. How many people get divorced because they're focused on the little things that are irritating them and not on how much the other person's caring for them and loving for them because they're so focused on the irritation yeah, you know, he, he, he didn't put his socks away, but, you know, he brought me flowers. He took me out to dinner. You know, we went and we did this, that, and the other thing, but he didn't put his socks away. You know, he didn't put his towel away after he showered. You know, and you overlook all the other things that you loved about the person when you were dating. And you get irritated by something really small. Now, big things are probably worth getting irritated over, but, you know, unfortunately, as humans, and we all know this, we usually get upset about petty, ridiculous things rather than big things. And this is what Jesus is saying, forgive. Forgive and forget. You know, he didn't, 
you know, this person, you know, didn't uh, put their Bible away the way you think that they should have, you know, the pool put Bible back in the rack and left it on the, on the seat for you to put, put back yourself. They were in church. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. You know, they left their bulletin on the seat again for the 500th time and I've asked them not to, you know, not to leave their stuff laying around. You know, we forgive them. You know, uh, we, we painted the, the church this, this off-color, off-color, uh, you know, pinkish hue, white. You know, there might be somebody who's upset. Well, we didn't paint, you didn't paint it white. It was white. Why didn't you paint it white? I like this color. Actually, it's not bad. You know, especially especially once the other colors are away from it. I'm just making fun of some things. You know, that people can get upset about. And we always tend to do this that we get upset about little things that are of really no importance. And then we hold it against them until they ask us for forgiveness. Now, worst thing about the, that is for, learn to forgive people, whether they ask for it or not, forgive them. Because if you're holding that bitterness against them, all it does is destroy you, destroys your health, destroys your relationship with them and others. Because then you're going to vent, you know, hey, Gary, you know what so-and-so did? You know, it happened 12 years ago, but this is what they do. And I'm still mad at them from 12 years ago, trying to poison your thoughts toward them when you have nothing against them and it wasn't even that big a deal in the first place. The people that the crimes have done against they for years and years, they refuse to, to forgive people. And the people that have done against the victims, like their parents will die of heart attacks and they carry this all the time and they got, it affects their health physically. Bitterness, unforgiveness, anger does a huge toll against the health of your body. The, the physical health of your body as well as the emotional health of your body. If somebody's angry with a family member, that bitterness doesn't just stay focused on one person. Eventually, if they keep harboring that bitterness and that anger in their heart, it will change who they are to be a very bitter, angry person. And then it's not just the one person, it's every irritant that follows along after that because they're now just an angry, bitter person. But if you just learn to forgive and release things, life is a whole lot easier. Well, you poison the water and it just makes things worse. And, it, and God tells us that out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're holding bitterness in your heart, especially really harsh bitterness like some people do, it's going to poison everything and you're going to speak you're going to speak those words. You're going to speak it every time that person's name is mentioned, every time you think about that person and about all they've done, and you're going to just try to destroy And What's really bad is sometimes you're talking to people who don't even know the person. You know, you know what my brother so-and-so did? Well, I don't even know your brother. Who cares what your brother so-and-so did? You're poisoning, it, poisoning the, the, the water, the well, so that when they do finally meet your brother, They've got all these bad feelings. Well, what, what a jerk this guy must be. You're always talking bad about him. Then find out he's a really nice guy, you know, and it's like it doesn't match up. But you've, been, you've had your own attitude poisoned about this person. You know, a lot of people will tell you that, you know, it's not gossip, it's the truth. It's still gossip. There's nothing in gossip that says it has to be true or false to be gossip. But just because if they're doing something wrong and it's true and you're talking about it, it's still gossip. You're still talking to people who don't need to know anything about them, about something that's none of their business, about somebody that's none of their business. It's still gossip, even if it's true. If you're going to say things, make sure it's edification.
not trying to tear people down. And it's so easy for us as humans to try to tear people down. It comes so natural to human beings to make ourselves look good and make somebody else look bad. Look at me, look how good I am, and this, look how bad this person is. You know, just here I am, this is me, this is them. And Jesus says, you know, you just keep forgiving them. Keep forgiving them. Not the answer Peter expected at all, because Peter was going, you know, you can picture Peter, you know, all puffed up, you know, I'm going to be really, I'm going to be really spiritual. I'm going to double what the, what the, what I'm being taught, and I'm going to tell Jesus, you know, seven times? Jesus goes, you're not even close. (laughs) It's pretty easy to get this attitude of, look what I've done. You know, especially if something big has happened. You you get a pastor who comes in really humble, he starts out with a church of 100 people, and the next thing he knows, there's 10,000 people there, and you know, Satan will go, yeah, look at, look at this church you've built. It's all you. you. It wasn't God. God didn't have any part of this. It's all you. You're such a fantastic speaker. And people start buying into it. You know, and it's easy to buy into it. You know, it, it's a success. You know, it looks good. It, it, make, you know, it makes it sound like, well, they wouldn't be here if I wasn't the pastor of this church. You know, so God says, okay, let me show you how wonderful you are. <laughs> and let something happen to, to cause problems. But you know, Satan also attacks us in and of itself. Uh, many of the evangelists, and you read their autobiographies, they have a great big crusade and then they'll go in depression for, for weeks because not enough people got saved. God, you just didn't do enough. 10,000 people got saved, but God, there were 100,000 in the stadium. How come, how come it wasn't 50? You know, we, so we end up having this problem sometimes and we've got to keep focused. God does what he wants to do in his time. And so Jesus goes into this little story, and it's kind of an interesting story. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which would take an account of his servants. Now, this is an interesting thing because Jesus and God is going to take account of his servants. For us as Christians, we'll stand at the Bema seat, and he'll judge the works that we have done. And for all other servants of this world, which everybody is his servant, whether they admit it or not, they will be judged at the white throne judgment and condemned. So he's saying there's going, to be, there's going to be this king, and he calls a servant who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents is approximately 16 million plus dollars. <laughs> Just a little debt, <laughs> you know, small debt. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. That he's, he says, okay, you owe me all this money. I'm going to send you into debtor's prison and your family. And you're going to stay there until every penny of it is repaid. Now, I've never quite understood how debtor's prison got anybody paid for anything because you go to prison or you don't have a job and they take away your house and everything that you own and you're in prison. Maybe they had a work release program. <laughs> work release program. <laughs> That's fairly new, but even then, if you're like the prisoners in the, in, in the prison here, they get paid like 50 cents an hour out of which all of their fees and everything get taken. So they don't make very much money. So, you know, he, sends it, he says, I'm going to send you into prison until you have paid everything. You're going to pay me your $16 million and you're, you're going to do it from prison. And the servant bowed down and worshipped him and says, have patience with me. And then I love this line, and I will pay it all. The purpose of this statement of this debt is, there is no way that this servant can ever pay this money. All right? He's not a business tycoon. He's not a rich king that can pull taxes in from someplace. He is the servant of a king. Even if he was making a fortune, he's not going to get $16 million 
to pay off the debt. And this is, this is, when you read this story, it's almost a humorous story. Jesus says, I got this guy, he owes me more than he's going to make in several lifetimes, and he's going to tell me he's going to pay all that debt. Do any of your commentaries ever address that? But the comedy of it? Not the comedy, but the... Uh, the fact that he couldn't pay it? Pretty much. Most of them do. I see comedy in it. I think Jesus is just having a lot of fun. He's making a, he's making a, he's making a sentence that's so strong and so outlandish that everybody's looking at him going, what do you mean? How, number one, how this, how this servant get that far into debt? And then... How did he be so stupid as to loan this guy? Or, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. How much, well, he had obviously had access to a lot of accounts. He was a trusted servant. And the king let him go a little far. So yeah, the, but you know, this is also a picture of man with a sin. We have, we have a debt that there is no way we can pay. You know, we can't pay our sin debt to God, which is equivalent to this, this message, 10,000 talents. We owe a debt we can't pay. In any way, shape, or form, we can't pay our sin debt, which is why Jesus paid for it and then forgives us. So it's got a lot of salvation imagery in here too. Yes, how, how did a king let his servant get 10, 16, 16 million dollars into debt? Who knows? But I think it's just the point of this is that, you know, this guy's taking advantage of the king and the king's demanding payment. And, you know, the guy goes, I'll pay you back. And the king knows that he can't be paid back. He knows there's no way he can pay this debt. And then he forgives him. And this is our sin debt. God has paid and forgiven our sin debt. And this is why when we get down to the application, this is important for us to understand. This is really a picture of salvation and the debt we owe God. And then he says, the man went out after he'd been forgiven and he found somebody that owed him 100 pence. That's about $15. Okay, in today's money. $15, you can, even the poorest of the poor could go out and beg $15 in a day or, you know, in a day or, you know, or go find a job and make $15 in a, in a day. And he grabs him by his neck. And he's being violent with him. Strangling him and saying, you're going to pay me your money or I'm going to throw you into prison. You know, you're going to pay me every penny you owe me, all $15 of what you owe me. And then he throws him into prison. The sad thing is, the picture of this is, is how many times do we do that, even as Christians, to those around us by not forgiving them? God forgives us a greater debt than we could ever pay and then we won't forgive people for really insignificant things. Really insignificant things. And this is why Jesus tells Peter, you're just going to forgive him. Then he gives him the story about how extremely he is on his, on his forgiveness. I've forgiven you a debt that you can't pay. Go out. We love him because he first loved us. We learn forgiveness because he first forgives us. And when we know that he's forgiven us, and I mean we truly, the more you are absolutely sure that God has forgiven you, the more you're going to be willing to forgive others. Most people who won't forgive also have trouble with God forgiving them. They'll go, well, I just don't know. How can God forgive? And I've heard it so many times over, th over 30, 40 years. I just don't know that God can forgive me. I'm just, I've done so many bad things, God, or so much bad things, God just can't forgive me. And you know, those people have real hard time forgiving other people. When they can't accept God's forgiveness, there's no way they can then transfer forgiveness to other people. I think that might be high on the list for a lot of these people that have things against the church. I've heard that so many times. 
There's lots of people that have, well, God wouldn't have let such and such happen if, if, if he really loved me. He, would, he wouldn't if you know, if this, that, or the other thing. Well, if you're his child, number one, you're going to understand that God has a reason for it. And if you're not his child, he's trying to bring you to him. And sometimes he does do pretty hard things to you to get you to come to him. The whole book of Revelation, killing 66% of the population of the world that we know of just by the numbers that he gives us, is all about trying to get people to turn to God. And he goes, I'm going to do what it takes to get the people to turn to me. And if you think about that, two-thirds of the population will be destroyed. All right, He's already taken the Christians out. However, hundreds of thousands or millions of Christians are, they're gone before the tribulation starts. And whatever's left, you know, four trillion people or whatever the population is these days, two out of every three will be dead by the time the tribulation ends. And in our room with five people, two, two, two people might make it during the tribulation period and three, three or four will die. Yeah, pretty, pretty hard odds. But we've got to understand God is going to move and he'll do what it takes to draw people. Here he tells the servant, I've forgiven you everything and you can't go out and forgive somebody. Yeah. What's $15 compared to $16 million? You know, uh, one millionth of the, <laughs> of the amount and you can't forgive that person? If nothing else, he could have said, well, I've just been freed of $16 million. What, what is $15 to, you know, you're, you're free. You're free. But that's the point that Jesus is making with the story. We have been forgiven a debt we can't pay to a God who's absolute just and holy and righteous. And then we go out and we beat up our brother or sister because they didn't do something we think they should do. They hurt our feelings. And God's saying, I forgave you everything. Why aren't you forgiving that brother or sister for this insignificant thing? And this is the whole point of the story. He says that this man bowed down to him and said, have patience for you, with me. I'll pay you. I'll pay you your $15. Just wait till Friday when I get paid and I'll pay you your check. Now, granted, 50, that amount of money back then was a good, good chunk of change, but, but he still it was, it was a viably payable debt. Just 100 pennies. Okay? Uh, a penny or denarii at that day was the day's wage. So basically he owed him 100 days wage, a third, third of his year's pay. You know, not, not insurmountable. It would have been tough to pay, but not insurmountable. Probably could have paid it easily within the year. This other guy is owing $15 million. Yeah, Just a few days' wages <laughs> yeah, by, 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 in comparison. Matter of fact, so much he did have to live several lifetimes to pay the debt. And he's saying, this is, what it, this is something, again, we keep talking about how the world observes us. In the story, it says his fellow servants watched this. They watched his action because they understood, you know, you've just been forgiven. And they're probably looking at him and maybe even saying, you were just forgiven $15 million. You can't forgive him $15? What's wrong with you? you know, and it shocks them. And the world looks at us when we're unforgiving toward other people, or, or, and the, whether they're brothers or sisters or the world itself, and they're going, well, you Christians, you know, you're, for, you're supposed to be forgiven of everything and you can't forgive? Yeah. You've got a God who loves you and you're not loving your, your fellow brother? 
especially bad when it's a Christian that you're upset with. And the world looks on and then go on, we don't understand, this does not compute. Even by the world's standards, this attitude does not con compute. Yeah. The world goes, you've just been forgiven a ton of you know, money that you could never pay and you're not going to be willing to forgive him. Yeah. If nothing else, you just take his $15 and apply it to what you would have had to pay the king, which is exactly what the king's going to do in a moment. But you know, and they said they were very sorrowful, they were made very uneasy when they watched this action. And rightfully so. It should have made them uneasy. Has it ever made you uneasy to watch somebody who has had unforgiveness towards somebody else? Especially if they want to share it. Number one, we shouldn't listen, but, but if you catch them always sharing it, it's like, doesn't it just make you kind of sick to your stomach? You know, why won't you let it go? Especially when you look at it and you go, it's something really small. Sad thing is we, do, we often do the same thing with other people. And they're saying the same thing about you. Why don't you just let it go? Which is why we need to learn forgiveness. You know, God, I'm just going to let this person stand or fall before you. I'm going to let it go. I'm, you know, they haven't really, I'm not going to end up in prison because of what they've done. I, I'm not losing my home because of what they did. I'm not losing my vehicle because of what they did. Now, if they went out and used your car and crashed your car and, and everything, you might have something to be upset with them about. That's, you know, a pretty big deal. Uh, but most, again, most of the things we get upset with people over are not big deals. Well, you know what they said about me to that person? The person probably doesn't even remember what they said. The person they talked to might not even remember what they said, but you're remembering it 28 years from now. <laughs> you know, and you know, I've, I've met people that have been mad with somebody for decades, you know, angry that they said or did something to them 20, 30 years before. And it's like, why? That person probably doesn't even remember what you've done. So they said, they said your outfit looked ugly. <laughs> you've been mad at them for 20 years because of that? Yeah. So they stole your, best, your, your boyfriend or girlfriend <laughs> in, in elementary school <laughs> that wasn't going to break, wasn't going to last anyway. There are a lot of people that have those kind of attitudes. That's why I'm using these really crazy ones that really should be nothing. But I've met people who have carried those kind of bitter, upset activities. You know, well, they stole my boyfriend or girlfriend when we were in kindergarten. But, you know, it's very interesting the petty things that we will be angry over. You know, think about if you have bad feelings towards somebody, think about who you're angry with and what it is you're angry about and then start looking at I love one of the pastors, he goes, before you say anything angry, think, does it need to be said? Okay. Very important, a lot of things we want to say shouldn't be said, period. Does it even matter? And then he has one more, will it matter a year from now? Okay, how many things do we think are really important that need to be dealt with, but it, you know, a year from now it really wouldn't matter? If it's not that kind of an important thing, maybe we shouldn't be dealing with it, we should just learn to forgive. If it's something, if you keep doing it to me, it'll matter a year from now, then yes, deal with it. You know, and would try to deal with it without anger, but <laughs> deal with it. But if it's not going to matter, why even care? Uh, I've shared with people, if I see somebody doing something wrong and it's not affecting my family, or now as a pastor of my church, it's none of my business. It's not that big a deal. Now, if it starts affecting my family, Okay, you're, we, we're going to go to battle because I'm the head of my house and I'm going to 
defend my family. If it's something that's affecting the church, I'm going to come up as pastor and I'm going to say, no, this is not going to, this is not going to happen. But if it's not doing either one of those, and the person doesn't even come to our church, what do I care what they do? It's between them and God if they're a Christian, and it's between them and God if they're not a Christian. It's, you know, God's going to judge them more harshly if they're one of his, one of his children. If they're one of his, not his child, he's going to go, well, it's not right. You're going to be judged on the last day, but he's not going to deal with it. They're not his children. God punishes his children, disciplines his children. And we need to be very cautious of this. There's much of what we deal with that should just be let go. Let God deal with it if he decides it's something worth dealing with. And God is so often going to just sit back and say, this is not that important. This other area is important. I've shared this. When we're witnessing with people, my goal is not to convince them that some sin in their life is a sin if they don't agree with it. Okay? Everybody knows that lying's a sin. Everybody knows that stealing's a sin. Even a kleptomaniac knows that it's a sin. They just say they can't help themselves because the science says that they can't help themselves. Now, fornication is understood to be a sin for most people, but not all. Adultery is usually very much considered a sin no matter what you are. You know, go after all the single people you want, but don't go after somebody who belongs to somebody else. You know, we know that there's certain things that are sin. So we don't need to have to sit there and convince somebody that something that they don't think is sin is sin to get them to come to God. Once they come to God, then we let God work on their heart and get them into the Bible and teach them, oh, those things are wrong, and then eventually they come around. So our goal is just to teach and bring people to Christ on the sins that they know they've done. And this goes into even sins like homosexuality. You know, I've dealt with lots of homosexualities. I've never tried, uh, homosexuals, I've never tried to convince them that homosexuality is a sin to try to get them saved. I will tell them God says it's a sin, but I will dwell on lying, you know, stealing, all the other things that they've done. Because everybody has told lies. Most people have stolen something in their entire lifetime. Even if it was a kid and their parents made them go take it back and they never did it again, most people have stolen at least once. Most people have a covetous heart. They want things that aren't theirs. It's not hard to show people that they're a sinner. So the, these servants, when they got, were uneasy, they went to the Lord, their master, and they told him, you know, uh, hey, that, that man that you just uh, forgave 15 million dollars to, he went out and he threw a man into prison for $15. Now think about this yourself. Wouldn't that make you angry? You forgive somebody, we, obviously we would never have $15 million alone, but let's say you forgave somebody a $100 debt and they went out and they abused somebody for 20 bucks. You'd be kind of upset, you know, what's with you? I, I forgave you $100 or $1,000 and you're going after this guy for just a pittance? What's wrong with you? This is the way the Lord of the, went after him, or God. When we do not forgive others, God will deal with us. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Forgive us our trespasses. Now, that prayer does not talk about salvation forgiveness. Once you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved. But it does talk all about our relational forgiveness uh, with Jesus Christ. Same thing with 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. 
that is our restoration forgiveness. It isn't our forgiveness of, well, you didn't ask for forgiveness, you're going to hell. That's not what it's about. It's, we have this thing between us. We have this wall between us. You're, you're my child, you're coming to heaven, but we've got, we can't have fellowship because you're holding sin regarding sin in your heart. We do not have fellowship. Have you ever had a time in your life where it seemed like your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling? They didn't get very far? Usually it's because we have some sin in our life that we haven't confessed. We have some debt of unforgiveness that we're not forgiving somebody else for. Uh, James tells us, tells husbands especially, if you have ought against your wife, God's not hearing your prayers. Why? You've got unforgiveness. You've got something that you're dealing with and God's saying, no, you need to get your relationships right. You need to have your relationships cleared on this world before he will start paying attention and fellowship with us. You know, and this is what he talks about. It's not our salvation. It's not like, okay, God, I, I've got three unconfessed sins. You told me I'm not going to be forgiven. I'm going to go to hell because I made three un, unconfessed sins before I died. No, that's not what that verse is talking about. It's not because I for, un, don't forgive somebody that I'm going to go to hell. But I won't be in fellowship. Which one? <laughs> Oh, you, God, your, your prayers won't be answered if you have something against your wife. I'd have to look up the exact verse. I mean, basically all it is is your prayers aren't being heard. God will not hear your prayers because you have something against your, your wife. Has, basically, your wife has something against you because you're not living. But fellowship. Fellowship is so important because God says, I won't have fellowship with you if you're not having fellowship with the rest of the body of Christ. If you've got problems with everybody else, then God says, we've got a problem. And it's your fellowship problem. That's when we get to going and we're going, God, I just don't feel close to you. Well, because God is over there standing. Well, when you get everything cleaned up, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll be back together again. And again, it's not our salvation. We're not going to go to hell just because we have these problems. But he says, I'm not going to be intimate with you. He's still listening to us. He's still going to help us. But he's not having that intimacy and I hope you understand what I'm saying, the difference between that intimacy when you've confessed your sins and you're in God's word and you're, struggling and, you're, and you're really trying to keep everything short accounts with people and you have that intimacy with God and you go, everything is just great, you know, because you've got, you and God are, you know, we're like this, we're together, we're talking, we're, we're enjoying, he's giving me peace and then we have that break in our fellowship because we have a break in our fellowship with other people and God says, I'm still here, I'm still protecting you but you don't have that intimacy, that intimacy with God. I remember that intimacy when I first got saved, and I'm telling everybody, you need to get saved. Even though I didn't know how to get saved hardly at all at 10 years old, I'm telling everybody, you need to get saved. You know, I was probably the worst uh, soul winner around at 10 years old, but I told them, I know where you can go, come to church. Come to church. I know you need Jesus, come to church, and I'll tell you how to do it. And this is the way we are, some, when we don't know the answers, we just need to, you know, if we're excited, we share God. I want to forgive people. I want to love people. I want to, I want to see people come to heaven. All because of my fellowship with God. He's forgiven us. And when we start really recognizing what he's forgiven us of, it should motivate us to keep short accounts with people. Why should I be angry with anybody when God's forgiven me much more than anybody's ever done wrong to me? Why should I be holding grudges against people when God doesn't hold a grudge against me. You talk to people, and people don't really see 
they're satisfied with their life. I mean, you can see problems that but you don't really see. They don't really see that there's anything going on in their life. There's nothing you can really do about it. They still need God because they're they're still sinners. You try to build the fact that they're a sinner, and, and you you create they the need. Everybody gets that way temporarily. But even then, this is why we do the way of the master. Have you ever, you know, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? Well, you've got to do more good than bad. Are you a good person? Of course, I'm a really good person. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever used God's name in vain? Have you ever looked with lust on a woman? Have you ever been angry at a brother without cause? You've just broke five of the, five of the commandments. You're headed for hell. Our gospel message is. Do you do you believe that there is a heaven? How do you get to? How do you think you get to heaven? Do you do you, you know? Did you grow up a Christian? Whatever way you want to start the conversation, but eventually you get to the question of, the simple question of, how do you believe a person gets to heaven? Most people are going to tell you do more good than bad, and that's when you go into it. Doesn't matter whether I'm. On top of cloud nine, I've got the, the mansion on the hilltop with a 20-car garage and servants and 50 bedrooms. I have no debt. You know, I have everything. Everybody likes me. I'm still a sinner, and I know that I'm missing something, bottom line. I know that I'm missing something. Now, if I tell you God's got a really good plan for you, you're going to go, I'm living the dream. I've got everything. Not exactly 100% happy, but I've got everything. What more could God give me? heaven relationship with him so this is why we have to be very careful we give the gospel message to people and not the gospel that most people are trying to give where it says you know it's you know God's got a great plan for you because Jesus said the world hated me they're going to hate you yeah Jesus had a really good message come to me and the world's going to hate you that's a real motivating message to get everybody to follow him, isn't it? And that's why most Christian churches don't give that message. They follow God and the world's going to hate you. Because it doesn't, it's not a motivating message that says, hey, I'm just going to jump out of my seat and follow God. The prosperity gospel is a really good message to draw people to him. Follow God and you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. <laughs> because that's what God's promised you. But he never promises us that. But yet that's what the world, that's what so many Christians will try to tell and then when they start following the God of healthy, wealthy, and wise, and bad things start happening to them, what do they say? I was lied to. That's when they fall away. That's when they fall away. They were lied to, and they were lied to. Because God didn't make them healthy, wealthy, and wise. He gave them a hard time, just as he promised them. He allowed hardships to come in and tests to follow. Huh? Didn't you Neither did God. Never promised us a rose garden. Matter of fact, he called, promised us nothing but trouble. So the king called back that servant and said, I forgave you of this. Why could you not even forgive him? And then he rescinded his forgiveness and, and had him sent back to torture. And now note here, he was sent to the tormentors. Just as God will do to us. He's not sending us to hell, but he'll make our life hell on earth because we're, of our unforgiveness. We won't have that close relationship with him. We will be struggling to have any relationship with him because we're not forgiving. We're not, we're not keeping short records. We're having our sin blocking between him and us.
Not that we're going to hell, but he says, you're going to be tormented. You're not, you're not forgiving like I've, I've shown you. You're not loving the way I've shown you to love. Now you're going to be tormented until you finally come to forgiveness. Now, at any point, he could have said, okay, I'll forgive this guy and meant it. And God knows the difference. You know, how many, you know, how many times have you heard, this person is not sorry that they did wrong. They're sorry they got caught. Most of the prisoners are sorry they got caught. They're not sorry they did something wrong. And I had one person bluntly tell me that. He goes, I only got caught because my girlfriend didn't do her job. And if it wasn't for her, I'd still be out there doing the same thing. It sounds like an ad. Yeah, okay. It's a, it's, a, it's a human thing. It's a human thing to blame somebody else and to say it's not my fault and I got, you know, I'm sorry I got caught. And it is natural to be sorry. But God is asking you, saying, I want you to be sorry that you did wrong. Not just because you got caught, not just because you're punished, but because you did the wrong thing. That's our goal as, parent, as parents here on earth. As we raise our kids, we're not trying to teach our kids to be sneakier so they don't have to get punished. We're not trying to teach them you know, anything but that when you do wrong, there's consequences and the consequences hurt. Hopefully they get to the place where they go, the consequences hurt so much that I don't want to do the wrong. I don't want to do the wrong again. And that's what God is wanting us to do. I don't want to do what's wrong because I don't like the consequences. And eventually it turns into, I want to do what's right rather than I'm trying to even avoid the consequences. Much of my walk starts out with, and all of ours, starts out with, God, I'm tired of being punished when I do that, so I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm tired of being punished. God, I just don't, you know, it hurts to be punished. I don't want to, punish, I don't want to be hurt anymore. And hopefully we take the next step later on and go, God, I just don't want to do this wrong anymore. God, I don't want to disobey you anymore. And that's when God's saying, that's my child. That's what I really want. That's the place I want you to be. Not that, you know, he'll be happy if we don't do it because we don't want to be disciplined. But you know, the ultimate joy, even as a parent, is when your child obeys, even when you're not there to punish them. When they get to be an adult and they continue to be obedient to what you taught them. Not because you're there to punish them, but because they have now chosen, I want to do right. That's what God's ultimate goal for us is. I want to do what you want me to do, God. God, I'm just tired of being punished every time I lie, but get to the point where I don't want to lie anymore. I just don't want to do it. Okay? Uh, God, I'm, I'm going to come to church and fellowship with the body of Christ, not because I'm afraid of your punishment, but God, I just so much want to be with the body of Christ. God, I'm going to read my word, not because you make life difficult when I don't, but I just love getting into your word. I can't think of any other way to live but that way. Okay, this man was taken back and he's being sent to the tormentors. You're out of fellowship, you're going to be tormented. And then he goes to the very strong statement in verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. The picture is very clear. God's forgiven us a debt we cannot pay. Forgive those who owe us a debt that is easy to repay. You know, we owe a debt that we can't pay, and God says, you know, forgive all those people, those petty, petty things that you're holding against them. And a lot of people will tell me, well, it's hard to forgive. It's very hard to forgive, especially when you first start doing it. Why? Because it's not human nature. 
they hurt me, they're going to pay. And if I really think they hurt me really bad, they've really got to pay. And God's saying, forgive them. You owed a debt that you really hurt me. You really hurt me. You hurt me so bad that if you didn't ask, you didn't get forgiven, you're going to hell. And he says, and I've forgiven you. Don't, don't not forgive other people. And this is something that's very serious. This is why I have that little sign up on our PowerPoint on forgiveness. I'm not going to think of the evil, the, the act that they've done. I'm not going to entertain it in my heart. I'm not going to speak of it. And I'm going to literally forget it. Because if I'm not thinking about it, I can't speak about it. Okay? If somebody's made me mad and they've hurt me, if I stop thinking about it, I won't speak it. Because out of the abundance of my heart, I'll speak. And, and I stop speaking about it, I'll start forgetting about it. Why do these bad things keep percolating up into our heart? Because we keep thinking about them. Well, you know, uh, this person shouldn't have done that. I've forgiven them, but they shouldn't have done that. I percolate it back up into the forefront of my mind. How many of us can remember what we ate last Friday for dinner? You know, most of us can't. I can because I went out to dinner, but... <laughs> But, you know, how many of us can remember what we did last month? <clears throat> and yet we can remember what somebody did to make us mad from years ago because we keep putting it up in the front, forefront of our mind. People say it's impossible to forget. And technically, yes, scientifically, it is impossible to forget. But in reality, it's very easy to forget. Yes, it's dredged in my mind someplace. But if I'm not reiterating and reliving it, I'll forget it. You know, most of us can't remember what we, had to, what we did two or three days ago in many cases, unless it's something special. We can't remember what we did just a couple of days ago, much less six months ago, a year ago. How do we forget something? Stop thinking about it. Incredibly <laughs> you know, silly, and it is, you know, stop thinking about what it is that's bothering you. Forgive that person. If you... If you're somebody who's dead and you can't forgive them, ask God to help you get it out of your mind. If somebody who's, who you've done, that you perceive has done something wrong, forgive them. Even if they haven't asked for it, forgive them. Call them up and say, I forgive you. They'll probably say, for what? When did that happen? That's happened many times. I've seen it. People, people have been angry for decades. And they go, you know what? I'm, I forgive you for what you did 20 years ago. What did I do 20 years ago? When you did such and such. I, I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, normally that's the way it is unless you've been really active in making sure they remember too. And there are some people that do that. Every time they see them, I haven't forgiven you. You did this 30 years ago and, I, and this is what you did and this is why I'm mad at you. But most people don't even remember what you're mad at them for. All they know is that you've been mad at them. You, you, don't, you seem to have a problem with them. Forgiveness. God's forgiveness. Let it go. Stop thinking about it. Put it in God's hand. If it, needs to be, if it needs to be disciplined, he's very good at disciplining people. He does a very good job at disciplining people when they need it, including ourselves. And you know, the more you want him to discipline others, the more he's going to discipline you. Because I've shared this. When I was younger in my marriage, I used to make lots of prayers. God changed my wife. Almost every time he changed me. So I've gotten into the habit of God changed my attitude toward this activity toward my wife now has he changed my wife over the years as well probably but if I'm concentrated on change me I'm not worrying about whether she's changed or not because he changes my attitude about it 
And that needs to be our attitude toward anybody we're having a hard time with. God, change my attitude toward this person. Help me to forgive this person. And man, it just changes the whole world. And you know what? I am absolutely sure that my wife has been changed many times when I've asked God to change me. I'm not focused on it and I'm not even understanding it. But you know, it's probably going to be the same thing. If you forgive somebody and you let it go, God might just change them. Might just change them so they don't do what it is that bugged you in the first place. Not because you're bugging them about it or expecting them to change, but God can change them. But you know what? When you're not focused on it, you really don't care. God, I'm just focused on myself. I have enough problems in my life that I can't sit around trying to figure out how to change everybody else's problems. Besides which, they may not be that big a deal, especially to God or them. They just bug me. So if God can help me change my, my attitude toward them and change me, I, I have more than enough God can change on me. You know, when I, and I said this over and over, there's plenty of sin in my life that God can take out of my life before I have to start worrying about other people. Jesus said, you know, you, you're trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye and you've got this log out of your eye. And he's talking about like a big telephone pole sticking out of your eye and you're trying to take a piece of sawdust out of somebody's eye. Here, let me get you this sawdust out of your eye as you're poking them with your log, smacking them upside the head as you swing around. You know, my problem is so big, everybody can see it, but I'm going to help you get your little tiny issue out of your life. Now, from their point of view, it's the other way around, but it's okay. We need to learn forgiveness. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to love you and care for you, care for you in return for your care for us. We ask that you help us to learn to forgive, that you help us to learn to be kind to people. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.